Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Yesterday morning, which was Saturday, um, as is kind of typical, um, I've been in too many wrecks in my life. And so about four o'clock in the morning, everything starts hurting, which everything stopped hurting about 10 o'clock whenever I went to bed and everything starts hurting back again about four o'clock in the morning. And my wife says that sleeping in the same bed with me is like sleeping with a, with a, uh, with a fish that's out of water. I just toss and turn all night long. So I didn't want to keep her up. It was Saturday. So I got up and and I, I went into the living room and, and I pulled my Bible out. And, you know, last week we were in Romans chapter five and I, and I just, I just can, I, you know, I was like, well, what, what am I going to read this morning? So I, I just started with Romans chapter six and then I got to seven and then I got to eight, nine and 10 and 11 and you know, Romans is basically broke up into two, two parts, kind of a theological part, which is uh, Romans 1 through 11, and then uh, 12 through 15 is more application. So you get to Romans chapter 12, a lot of people know, you know, that's where he starts talking about, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And anyway, you go through Romans chapter 12 and I mean, it's like every verse is just golden. And I'm not, it, I just, I relate more to the application stuff. Okay. And so man, I'm, I'm reading Romans chapter 12 and I get to 13 and then I get to 14 and, and Romans chapter 14 is very near and dear to my heart because I, I am a, I am a consummate defender. And, uh, my, my wife says that I would argue with a fence post and I say, no, I won't. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was, that was funny. And, uh, anyway, so, you know, I, I, I'm constantly torn between, you know, you, you've got these unchurched people that are criticizing Christians and, and I'm like, well, you know, well, Christians just think they're, they're better than everybody else. No, I, I, I don't. Maybe some of them do, but the authentic ones don't. And they're like, well, they're no better than I am. No, but at least they're trying, you know? I mean, at least they're trying. And, 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 then, I, and then I get the other side of it. I get the Christians that are like, you know, criticizing all these other people. Well, they're just sinners. <laughs> Who do you think you are, right? So I, you know, I, I, I feel like I, I'm just a consummate defender. And, and Romans chapter 14 talks about disputable matters, disputable matters. You know, there, there's a disputable matter that uh, in, in, in jest that not, not like you eat, but in, in funniness, uh, that, that is always going on between, uh, me and Mitch. And then, and then like Ty and Brett it is whether to dally or, or, or tie on. And, you know, Ty advocates that, that tying on is, is, is very dangerous. Yeah. From the devil. And, uh, you know, I advocate that, that roping anything period is dangerous, but people that tie on can pick their nose with all 10 fingers. So, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, it, 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 it's just, uh, there, there's not like a right, a right way and a wrong way. There's just 
You know, a, a lot of times, and me and Jeremiah talked about it on our trip, you know, a lot of times you do things as a product of your environment. And so, um, you know, we, we always give each other a, a hard time about that. But anyway, so I'm, I'm reading Romans chapter 14 about disputable matters. And, and I was thinking about that and I was kind of laughing about it. And by this time, it's about 4.45 in the morning and, and my wife comes walking out. I had never seen this woman before six o'clock or nine o'clock any morning in my life. And she comes walking out with a smile on her face. And I just knew that Jesus had come back. I mean, that, that, that was the only explanation, right? And, and I really thought that Jesus had come back because she says, do you want me to make you some waffles? Who are you? Not that she doesn't cook waffles. She just doesn't cook waffles at 445 in the morning, right? And so it was a wonderful, wonderful morning. And she got in there and I drank coffee and we visited and, you know, the kids were still asleep and, you know, it was just a time of me and my wife and man, I was just like a, a kid on cloud nine. Right. And so we ate our waffles and we drank coffee and she goes, okay, I'm going back to bed. And, and she went back to bed. <laughs> and so I, on the other hand, I went back to reading Romans 14 over disputable matters. When I, whenever I read the Bible, you know, I, you know, I told you I read 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I mean, I nearly wrote, read the whole book of Romans that morning. But when I got there, man, it, I don't want to say that God said, you need to stop right there. <laughs> you know, the, 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 there wasn't any of that, but Sometimes it just stands out and I just, I kept reading it and I kept reading it and, and, and I'd read it before, but it just seemed like new things were, 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 were being opened up to me. And, and I was so thankful because at that time I didn't realize that God was preparing me because my day started off amazing and it turned into absolute trash and I got a chance to practice what I read in Disputable Matters. Funny how that happens. There's a lot of disagreements over Disputable Matters. The entire chapter of Romans 14 deals with it. But I, but I think that, that Paul sums up his entire chapter with, with the very, very, very first verse. In Romans chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Except other believers who are weak in faith and dally. It was weird. I, 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 did, I never read that before. Thank you. It does not say that. God. Except, <laughs> except other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue. I, I, that's what it said, don't argue. I thought it said dally. I, I don't know what was. Yeah, yeah. And don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. He sums up the entire chapter Right there, except other believers, okay, believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. And, and what I think is, is interesting about that is he said, except other believers who are weak in faith. And, and what I have found is that the more mature a Christian is, the less they argue. I mean, they, they just, I mean, what, what good is, is an argument? I mean, have you ever backed anybody into a corner pointing your finger at them and trying to quote scripture and they go, you know what? I was wrong. 
You're absolutely right. (laughs) That never happens. I mean, as soon as you start arguing, people will defend themselves and and their viewpoint. And, And so really a sign of weakness of faith is when people are arguing over disputable matters. He gives a reason for his statement of this, except other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong in verse 19. So between one, and then he talks about a bunch of stuff and we'll talk about that bunch of stuff. And then in verse 19, he says, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. He's saying, man, when, 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 when we as Christians, man, when we go to bickering and squabbling and man, that, that doesn't build each other up. That doesn't bring harmony, man. It, it just, the, the devil uses that just to slice. I mean, the, 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 the church right down the middle. And I'm not talking about save the cowboy. I'm talking about the, the, the church body as a whole. And, and a lot of people come up to me and they're like, well, what denomination is Save the Cowboy? Man, that is one of those lines. You know what denominations are? They are lines drawn over, pro, uh, over mostly disputable matters. Well, we like to do it this way. Well, we like to do it this way. We like to do it this way. That's fine. Do it. I mean, who cares if you do it this way or you do it that way? If you do the Lord's Supper every single week or you do it twice a year or I mean... God just said, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. He didn't say, y'all do it every single Sunday or you're going to hell. (laughs) He didn't say that. He said to do it, but he didn't give us a time frame. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. A wise man once said, if you tie two alley cats together and hang them over a clothesline, you will see a great example of being united without being unified right? Man, I think that is the greatest illustration of the church today is two alley cats with their tails tied together, hung over a clothesline. They are right next to each other and squabbling. And neither one of them is right. Neither one of them is wrong, but they're blaming each other for the predicament they're in. And the devil just sits back and just laughs. (laughs) Silly Christians. I'm going to give you three disputable matters as illustrations about myself because I, you know, I, I, I use myself and I poke fun at myself because I'm, I'm not going to stand up here and poke fun at anybody, but you know, Robert, Ty, Gary, and Mitch. Okay. I mean, they, they love me. I love them. They know. So, you know, they just get used to it and they still keep coming back. And, uh, so, so I, I'm going to give you three disputable matters about myself that might shock you. It might change your mind of, of who I am. But I want you to know that my goal today is not to drive people away or try to convince y'all that my way is the right way or anything. My goal today is to bring us closer together so that we can do this deal that God, that that we call riding for God and we can do it together. The very first thing I would like to reveal, and I hope some of you, if you, you know, wives, you may need to hold on to your husband and I hope nobody throws tomatoes at me. I don't like tomatoes. And uh, don't, don't get yours out, Ty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't throw coconut either. Uh, I don't like baby fingernails. And um, the first thing that you need to know about me, I don't like steak. 
I don't. I mean, I, it's not that I won't eat steak, but I, I'm just not a real big fan of steak. Now, before you judge me too harshly, let me tell you why. My mother, we grew up, steak was, as probably in most of your household, steak was kind of, you know, something that you ate on special occasions. And um, my mother's idea of steak was cooking a well-cut piece of steak to the consistency of shoe leather. And much like Ty likes it, I, I just, if I wanted beef jerky, I'd go get beef jerky, okay? And so I, just growing up, my mom would be like, oh, we're having steak today. <laughs> Yay. Do we have 14 gallons of ketchup? Because I just, I end up making like a meat sauce out of it. You know, just pour a whole bowl full of ketchup and just put the beef jerky in there and just eat it all and just try to swallow it without chewing. Um, I, you know, I... And, and, and I and I eat ketchup with steak, okay? And um, a lot of people think that that is a sin to eat ketchup on steak. But wait a minute. My argument is, is it not a greater sin to serve steak that needs ketchup? That's my whole, I mean, that, that, that's my whole argument with that, right? But, right, yeah, got to have... 14 gallons of water on tap. But you want to know one of the main reasons I don't eat steak much is because I have a phobia, like an honest to goodness phobia. And that phobia is of choking. I had surgery on my pancreas. I only have half a pancreas. I had half of it removed when I was 15 and my parents had to sign a understanding that uh, there was about a 70% 70% chance I wouldn't make it off the operating table. And um, so I was, uh, I was driving down the road one day going out to the ranch in Texas and I was eating a steak burrito, starving to death. Well, anyway, the reason I'm telling you about the surgery is because after surgery, I was having a CAT scan and I had an anaphylactic reaction to the iodine contrast dye and it paralyzed my diaphragm. And your diaphragm is what the muscle that makes your lungs fill up with air. (laughs) Guess what? When your diaphragm paralyzes, you can't breathe. And I remember laying there as, as this medicine took hold. And the, the guy told me, he said, if you start feeling funny, you know, just tell me. And I'm like, well, it kind of feels like I'm getting asthma. And so he come back out of that little room and he walks over there and he, he said, is it getting better? And I said, no, it, it feels like it's getting worse. And as that medicine took hold, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't breathe. It is a scary feeling to watch doctors intubate you before you pass out. I thought I was dying. I mean, I was. And it's really scary whenever your doc, a doctor runs in and I grabbed him by the, t- by the tie and I pulled him down close to me. And I'm in a very weak voice. I said, please help me. And when a doctor, when you can see the fear in his eyes and he responds to a 15-year-old boy with, God, Kevin, I'm trying. Ask me why I have a phobia of choking. So I'm driving down the road to the ranch eating a steak burrito and I had run out of water, but I was starving to death and I eat this burrito and I go to swallow and guess what happens? It goes down wrong and I, all by myself. I opened the door to the truck and I got out 
and I, did, I gave myself the Heimlich maneuver on the, on the corner of the truck and a big old wad of steak comes flying out of my, basically my throat. I had to save my own life on the seat of a truck. So maybe you want to take my man card because I don't like to eat steak. I would rather eat a casserole because you don't really have to chew casserole. You can just basically drink it, right? I, I do. And, 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 it, and it's, it, it really is a big problem in my life because like as I'm eating every single swallow, I think about choking every single day. Now I hide it real well after, you know, it happened when I was, so, you know, eight years, 15 to 23, eight years of practice. I, I have learned to, to hide this, this phobia of choking. The cowboy world would say that not liking steak is a sin, but Paul said not to judge a person on whether or not they eat certain foods. Now, now really what Paul was talking about was, you know, when, when, the, the Jewish law, they, they couldn't eat, you know, shellfish, they couldn't eat pork, they, they, they couldn't eat this. And so when people were converting to Christianity, um, and, and later on, and I'm not going to say it, but Paul says, I am certain that there's nothing that you can't eat or drink, you know. I mean, everything's available. But there was certain uh, Jewish converts that were trying, that were following Jesus, but they were still holding by, by the food laws, you know, you, you, you can't follow Jesus and, and, and eat pork, you know, so, something like that. Romans fourteen three says, those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do for God has accepted them. I mean, I personally know some really good friends of mine are Messianic Jews, which are, which are, are Jewish people that, that believe in Jesus that he was the Messiah and, and they still don't eat pork or shellfish or anything like that. And that used to really bother me. But then I thought, who cares? Save the bacon for me. I, I mean, it, I, don't, I don't care. I, I, I could care less what, what you eat or anything like that. But the Bible, not, not only does it say it's okay, but Paul says those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those that people that do. So he's telling the Messianic Jews and the Jews, man, y'all don't condemn them for eating certain foods, but it's vice versa also, man. Why are we bickering and arguing over what somebody may eat? It's silly. It does not bring harmony. And it, and it dang sure doesn't uh, unify us and, and, and build each other up if we're always bickering and arguing. Disputable matters. They get a little bit more rank after this. And y'all are just going to have to be mature. And, and uh, yeah, I, I talked to a, kind of my mentor last night. Uh, about some of this. And I said, I, I know when I say this, that there are going to be a, a, a few people. I don't think it'll be a lot, but there's going to be a few people that, that basically I'm going to catch hell for this. And he said, well, you know, the pulpit is a lightning rod for anger. See, the second thing that you may or may not know about me is I like to drink beer. Now, don't get me wrong. I have not been intoxicated in over a decade, closer to 14 years since I've been intoxicated. But, you know, after a long day of branding calves or something like that, I'll have one or two. But you know what? In Romans 14, 21 through 22, 
Paul says, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe that there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. So, so how do I justify that? Because in, in Western Christianity, there's nothing more polarizing than, and, and it's not so much out here, but man, you get into that Bible belt, man, if you are a Christian, you you cannot drink alcohol. And they're like, well, alcohol leads to inebriation. And, you know, so many people struggle with alcohol that nobody should drink alcohol or you're causing your brother to stumble. Well, eating food leads to obesity, but none of us are on a hunger strike, right? I mean, think about it, right? Talking causes lying and lying is a sin. I don't see any of us taking vows of silence to keep somebody else from stumbling, right? And, and, and okay, here, here's my illustration of this. Um, Ty doesn't drink alcohol. I, I, I'm not revealing anything that he hasn't revealed before. He was an alcoholic at one time. He knows he has to stay away from it. So when I'm with Ty, I cannot tell you how many, and, and it doesn't bother Ty a bit. He'll say, man, if you want to have a beer, have a beer. No, I'm good. I'm good. Now I'm not saying that Ty has never seen me drink a beer. If I'm drinking a beer at the house and he drives up, I don't. I, I, don't, I don't do that. But, but when we go out, man, very seldom, if ever, you know, we, we went to Guatemala and I think he even told me one time, he's like, man, if you want a beer, grab a beer. I'm good, man. I'm good. I, I, I love him more than that. And, and, I, and I don't want to do anything that, that might, while we are together, that, that, that might cause some undue pressure on him. That's what that verse means. Or, or maybe it's easier to understand it in another way. You know, if somebody is on my 600 pound life and they have to lose like 200 pounds in order to have this surgery, if they come over to my house, I am not going to offer them a plate of Rice Krispie treats. Okay, but just because they shouldn't eat Rice Krispie treats doesn't mean that once they're gone, I can't pull them out of the pantry and have me one right? So, you know, just because the Bible says don't cause anybody to stumble, you know, I mean, I'm not going to go tell Ty, hey man, we need to have a meeting. All right, where are we going to meet? We're going to meet at the Kiowa bar. That's stupid. I'd never do that to to Ty or anybody else. Just because Ty doesn't drink doesn't mean that I have to quit. No, I respect him. I love him. I'd never do anything to, to, you know, if Ty comes out, I'm not going to, you know, I'm drinking beer. You want one, Ty? Man, that would be horrible. That would be horrible. I would never cause my brother to stumble. But just because I'm not going to cause him to stumble doesn't mean that when I'm alone and, and I'm watching, uh, you know, the Broncos or the Cowboys doesn't mean that when I'm in my own house, you know, basically by myself that I can't have one. <laughs> I'm not talking about one case. Okay. Talking about one or maybe two disagreements over disputable matters. You don't have to do things the way I do. Them. And, and later on, and, and I'm not going to get in. I mean, we, we could spend two weeks on this, but later on, Paul says, man, if somebody thinks it's a sin to eat pork, then for them, it is a sin to eat pork. But if somebody doesn't think it's a sin to eat pork, then it's not a sin for them. So these are the disputable matters that, that it can be a sin for one person and not a sin for another. It would probably be a sin for Ty to drink, but it's not for me, except other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. I'm not going to lecture Ty. Wait, 
Ty, you can drink. And, and he's not going to lecture me. Well, you shouldn't be drinking. <laughs> We're not going to do that, man. We're brothers. We're together. And the third thing, and this is hard. I, I'm not a good pastor. I, I'm not a good pastor. But hang on a second. I've recently been criticized heavily because I'm not a good pastor. Thing is, <laughs> I never said I was. I never said I was. A pastor is a gift given to the church by God, and it cannot be manufactured or faked. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Now these are the gifts that, God, that Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Those are five distinct individuals. That is not the qualifications that you have to be a prophet, an evangelist, a, what, what is it, uh, a pastor, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. See, most of the church expects the guy that gets up there and speaks to be all five of those. And they're not. They're not. No, nobody can be all five of those. I was at a waffle house one time. I didn't know today was going to be about waffles. I was at a Waffle House one time and, and, and I'm sitting there by myself and, and it was in Colorado Springs and, and this guy walks in and, and all of a sudden, like, I guess he was a regular there because they were like, good morning, Prophet Michael. Good morning, Prophet Michael. I thought Jesus had come back again. The archangel has come down, you know, and it was just this dude and he had his business card and he labeled himself Prophet Michael somebody. Okay, I mean, I, 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 didn't, I didn't go up to that guy. What makes you think you're a prophet? You know, if he wants to call himself a prophet, call yourself a prophet. It, it makes, it is no sweat off my back. But you know, the, these, these gifts of, of who we are, they, they, can't, they can't be manufactured or faked. A pastor is somebody that like, is, is like a shepherd that is integrally involved in, in your daily life and, you know, Man, I have to try to fill that role sometimes, but man, it, I don't know who here this is. I have nobody in mind, but I know that some of you are, are, are great at, at, y'all are prayer warriors. I know some of you are great at serving. I know some of you are, are, are great at teaching, okay? But just because you're, you're a prayer warrior or just because you're, uh, a great servant doesn't mean that you can get up here every single week and give a 30 minute message, right? I mean, we're not all given the same gifts. And, 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 I, and I, I absolutely, I do my best. But just because a person leads a ministry doesn't automatically make him a pastor. And, and everywhere I go, they're like, how should we introduce you, pastor? I'm not a pastor. I, I'm not a pastor. That, that, is, that is not my gift. And, and it's like the harder I try to manufacture that, the worse it makes me. Do not mistake that, that I don't love people, man. I, I love people and, and I, have, I have literally wept tears for people. I love them, but I, I'm just, I'm not that great of a pastor. And so whenever I get accused and ridiculed and criticized and condemned for not being a good pastor... My response is, well, you're right. <laughs> I, I'm, that, that's, not, that's not my gift. My gift is or, exhortation, okay? You know what exhortation is? It's like motivating people, encouraging people. That's what I do. 
That, that, that is my gift is, is teaching and exhortation. You know, I, I don't look at myself as a pastor. I've never claimed to be a pastor. I'm more of a motivational Christian speaker, if you will. I love to look at the Bible and, and, and tell people how you can uh, live a Christian life. That, that, that's what I'm good at. That's what I'm good at. Think about this. In, uh, there's a, where did I? Oh, in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Now these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, which is the body of Christ. Do you notice something in there? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. See, in, in, in Western culture or, or Western Christianity, there's this deal that, that, you know, it's the pastors, it's the preachers, or it's the guy that gets up there and gives the message every day. It's his responsibility to do all of these things. And it's not. The Bible says that my responsibility is to equip y'all to do God's work. It doesn't mean that I have to do everything, okay? It doesn't mean that I have to do everything. Now, I do my part, and I try to do as much as I can. And I, there, there's nobody that I do not love and care for and shed tears for. There are many people sitting here today in Kiowa and watching online that are 10 times the pastor that I am. Man, it's y'all's gift to, to, to hold on to people and to love them. And, you know, there's another deal in, in Acts where some, some of the Hellenistic Jews, which those are the Jewish people from, from Greece, that in the food distribution, because back then there wasn't welfare, there wasn't food stamps or anything. So there was a lot of poor people. And they go to James and Peter and they say, the, 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 Jew, the, the believers from Greece are being left out of the food distribution. Like, all the food is just going to those from Israel, not, not other people. And so Peter and James, they call everybody together and they were like, okay, listen, we're going to call these five guys over here to, to handle the food distribution because why should we stop preaching the word of God in order to hand out food? Let's, lift, let's let those that are called to that do that job and we will continue to do what we are called to do. See, we, we are the body of Christ, man. It, it's, it's not about what just I do. It's what we do. What we do. It's the church's responsibility, not just my responsibility or Ty's responsibility or Gary or Daniel or Kathy. It is all of our responsibility to be the body of Christ. God uses all of us to fill a role in his work. Romans 14, 4. Still indisputable matters. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will all stand and receive his approval. This means we are to celebrate and encourage everyone to use their gifts as part of the body of Christ. Not judge and criticize other people. I'm not going to criticize you because you can't get up here and give a message like I can. I'm going to thank God that, the, that, that you have the gifts that you give. Man, when, when we start praising God for each other instead of pointing out 
each other's weaknesses or, or lack of gifts, man, that, that, that just brings division in the church. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? I'm a servant of Christ. You're a servant of Christ. I'm not going to condemn you. Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will all stand and receive his approval. Practical ways of handling disputable matters. Okay, this is the end. There's always going to be things that, that we don't agree with, or we think that somebody should be doing something that they're not, or they're doing something that they shouldn't be, or, you know, whatever. There, there's 9,000 reasons. There, there's a million different reasons of, of things that, that we can condemn each other for and criticize each other for and everything. But man, let's all just come together and, and let's just love on each other. One of the truest tests of maturity is the ability to disagree with someone while still remaining respectful. Think about that. Think about that in the upcoming election. One of the truest tests of maturity is the ability to disagree with someone while still remaining respectful. Number one, practical way for handling disputable matters. Your way is a way. It is not the only way. Number two, condemning others reveals more about you than them. Number three, thinking you're right is not the same thing as being wise. Maybe I should have said being right is the smallest part of wisdom. Number four, unity is more important than being right. Us coming together and loving on each other and helping each other when somebody falls or whatever the case may be, unity is vastly more important than being right. Number five, being offended does not make you right. Being offended does not make me right. Number six, He who is without sin shall cast the first stone. He who is without sin shall cast the first stone. And number seven, if you are offended, the Bible says in Matthew 18, 15 through 19, that if a brother offends you, a fellow believer offends you, you go to that person in private and name your offense. Go to that person in private. It does not say go on Facebook and blast people for their inadequacies. Inadequacies. It says, go to that brother and, and, and y'all talk it out. And, and, and you know what? It might be a disputable matter. Just because, you know, it says, if you are offended, go to that person in private. But just because you're offended doesn't mean that you're right. Unity is more important than our opinion of what we think is right or wrong. Jeremiah told me on the way up there, or way down there to Texas. He said, I have never experienced a church body like Save the Cowboy. And if you ever do anything to mess that up, I'm going to whip your beep. <laughs> and I appreciated that. I don't want to mess this up. I have nightmares about messing this up. But just because I don't want to mess it up doesn't mean that I'm perfect. I will make mistakes. And for the mistakes that I've made, I ask y'all's forgiveness, truly. And I've made a bunch of them, but I learned from each and every one of them, but I can only be who God has called me to be. And I want to celebrate who God has called you to be. I will celebrate. I will jump for joy. We'll eat Cracker Jacks and blow those whistles or whatever that unroll. I don't care, man. Let's come together. Let's make this. And even y'all watching online, man, the church has to come together. Yes, there's going to be There's going to be things that we disagree on and all of this stuff, but it should never come in between what we're all striving for and what we're all striving for. Paul said it, you know, let us aim for harmony in the church 
and build each other up. Let's not tear each other down, not by any means. I love each and every one of y'all that are here, and I thank God for every one of you that are here and every one of you that might be watching later or that are online, man. I love all of you. Let, let's, let's come together, guys. Seriously, let's not, let, let's not let disputable matters come in between what God has built up. Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. Let's not try to do the devil's work. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we are all the church and we should all fill the role of the church. Let us not condemn each other for our differences and disputable matters, but let us celebrate our differences as the body of Christ. And God, thank you for loving us. And God, thank you for allowing us to love others with the same love that you've showed us. Let us ask for forgiveness from each other and let us offer it freely as it has been offered for thee to us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.